You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. This is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly, founder of Agape Moms, and I'm so happy that you could join me for this conversation today. Here on the podcast, we emphasize discovering you on the journey through. And that means that I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose. And I believe that she can do it right through the things that God is carrying her through in her season as a single mom. Today on the podcast, we're going to be tackling what it means to leave an abusive relationship and then how to emotionally recover from one. My guest is Tiffany Denny from The Relationship Recovery, and we're going to break down a lot of the buzzwords and the concepts that go into understanding abusive relationship dynamics. We're going to talk about things like trauma bonding and how we might actually be walking straight into the trap of an abusive relationship without even noticing it. And then the things that we might need to do in order to get to safety and then how to emotionally recover and get over this relationship and leave the past behind and step into the future. I find one of the things that keeps women stuck in toxic and abusive dynamics is not understanding both the biblical truth about how we're supposed to respond to these situations, but then also just the basics of the foundations of the way that these relationships are constructed and how they work. And you know that that's a passion of mine here on the podcast, that firstly, we understand that The word does encourage us to get away from people who are not healthy and are not treating us in a Christ-like manner. And then on the other side of that, though, understanding how we can see this, you know, sometimes abuse creates kind of a fog. It makes us really confused and we start to explain away red flags, but we know in our hearts that something is wrong. And when things don't get better and we keep seeing these things go around and around and around, we have to have the ability to get some kind of outside information that would help us to see things more correctly and see things as they really are rather than maybe the way that we've always seen them or maybe even the way we've wanted to see them. Abuse is something that is cyclical that will go around and around that you'll have these patterns of times that are seemingly quiet and then these big explosive episodes and they follow a pattern. Many of these types of things are seen across a variety of different relationships from person to person. And so while they are terrible to experience, they have a lot of commonalities. And so when we know that, we can spot the signs and then we can do something about them. There were layers of healing for me when it came to this subject. And the first was being able to look at another person's behaviors and be able to identify what was wrong with the way I was being treated. And God actually let me sit there for a couple of years to say, this treatment I'm receiving is wrong. However, over time, I went to the next layer, which was, why did I allow this to happen? And as Tiffany and I are going to talk about in this conversation, we talk a little bit about some words that are kind of triggering. And those are words like codependency, and enabling. And I have to tell you before we dive into this conversation, those words do not mean at all that any abuse that you have suffered is your fault or that you have contributed to it. You have not. Abuse is always the choice of the abuser. There is nothing that a target of abuse can do to change an abuser's way of relating. An abuser uses control and manipulation not just in a romantic relationship but in just about every relationship that they might be a part of and so this is not something that you are at all contributing to you're not partially to blame for this is not cause and effect that well if i was a certain kind of a person or if i did this differently this person wouldn't treat me this way this is not at all the fault of the person who is being abused With that being said, the only way I was going to break these unhealthy patterns of relating and this trauma bonding that I was doing was for me to understand my role in the way that I walked into relationships, the kind of behavior that I tolerated, because the fact of the matter was... 
while my marriage was very unhealthy, I have had unhealthy relationships since then. And when I notice that there's something here that's not changing, then I have to look inward and say, okay, there's something going on with the way that I'm choosing people, the way that I'm connecting to people, and the kind of treatment that I am allowing. And that is what is meant when we're talking about codependency. It's really meant to be something that empowers you to make different choices and choose a different path, not something at all that's meant to attribute any blame for abuse to the victim. Loneliness is actually something that has patterns behind it and the ways that we respond to loneliness can actually cause us to be attracted to unhealthy or toxic relationships. And so to help with identifying these patterns and breaking free of them, I've created a quiz over at agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. And it's called, What's Your Loneliness Type? And once you've taken that quiz, it'll take just a couple of minutes, you'll have the ability to start to identify what some of those patterns are and get some ideas of what you might be able to do to change them. Again, that's agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. I'd like to start off by giving you some background about the relationship recovery. Tiffany Denny and Kirsten Franklin started this movement in hopes of reaching as many women as possible that are left victims after a relationship has ended and are ready to fight to be survivors instead. Tiffany and Kirsten are both survivors of divorce and domestic violence and found that there was little support to deal with the aftermath. And whether it was just learning how to blend a family, trust again, or how to feel love for themselves again, these are the kinds of things that they offer, all kinds of tools and support to help with recovery. I've been studying toxic relationship dynamics for the last several years. And the thing though I love about Tiffany and Kirsten and their approach to this subject is the fact that both of them are remarried and they have a perspective of life beyond this, life on the other side. And where I feel like I'm catching a glimpse of that, they're just a little further up the road and it's so encouraging. And I just pray that you'll be uplifted by this conversation as well. Here's my conversation with Tiffany Denny from The Relationship Recovery. Tiffany, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I find that this topic is so critical in sort of this tiered approach to healing from an abusive relationship. I think at the very beginning, it's firstly understanding what we're in and how to start healing from that. And then I know for me personally, it was about, but how do I not get back into this again? And as I explored my own healing process, trauma bonding and those kind of things became really core to me understanding patterns that I had that I could still heal from. So as we get started here, I want to know if you would help us to understand, if I'm a first-time listener and I'm not familiar with the concept, what trauma bonding really is all about and how we can determine if we are doing this in a relationship we might be engaged in. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share um, what knowledge I have on it. And I experienced being in a severe trauma bond as well. And I just wanted to also say thank you for having me on today. Um, so I will just hop right into trauma bonding. So really what happens is it develops out of a repeated cycle of abuse, devaluation, and positive reinforcement. So you have that cycle that starts to happen. And in that, um, what happens is it creates these powerful feelings that you struggle to make sense of. So especially when abuse alternates with kindness and intimacy mm -hmm. and it creates this addiction to another person. So when you try and leave, you feel like you're going to die. Like you literally feel physically like you're going to die. I'm not sure if that's kind of how you felt when yeah. you know you left your situation and it's very confusing because you know, you're being mistreated, right? But why do you feel so intense? All this connection, right? This mm -hmm. connection. Yeah. So they've done a lot of studies on trauma bonds and uh, they've actually studied the brain of somebody that is withdrawing from heroin and mm. withdrawing from a trauma bond and the patterns in the brain are almost identical. Wow. So if that gives you any indication on how hard it is to break these bonds, that 
for me was so eye-opening. I just, mm. it was amazing to see those scans, those pictures and have actually gone through it myself and mm. know what that feeling is. Yeah. And it, you know, it, I think when you have an explanation and you have a label to things, it makes it easier to navigate the healing around it. You're so right. And you made a really critical point there that it's confusing, that we could know in our minds, something feels off, something feels wrong. And yet, feel so compelled, even if we know, like, I have to escape this relationship, I have to get out, it's not healthy. There is always this thing that feels like it's sucking us back in, like we are losing a piece of ourselves, like we are going to die. And I think when you think about trauma, as it relates to abuse and divorce and things like that, it's already just difficult to separate our lives from somebody we've been with for a long time. But when you have this chemical neurological dependency, basically that we've created on this other person, then it just ratchets it up to the next level. So as far as creating trauma bonds and how they get going, I know you mentioned there's a kind of a reinforcement cycle of some positive and some negative. What are some behaviors on both sides that create that trauma bonded relationship? So on both sides, so on, on the side of the abuser, it's, it's a tactic that they use. Um, sometimes, you know, you wonder if they know what they're doing, mm-hmm. um, if it's really intentional or not, but I don't know that that's really relevant, relevant because yeah, no matter what it's happening in that cycle. So um, the environment necessary to create a trauma bond involves intensity, complexity, inconsistency, and lastly, a promise. So you can see how that goes around Mm -hmm. for the person that is not the abuser. You know, we contribute also to that relationship. We hang on to hope, right? We don't get into these relationships thinking that we're going to get divorced. And, you know, the media sensationalizes relationships as fairy tales. And, you know, we want that, right? We want that. And, you know, good relationships do exist, I promise, because, you know, I've since been remarried since um, I was um, divorced about, mm-hmm. oh, about 11 or 12 years ago, but um, yeah, we, we definitely contribute. And I think once we own that and we own the responsibility of that, that also frees us to heal a little bit, bit further, but it's, it's an interesting thing. Even to this day, I'm in zero contact with my ex-husband, uh, but my kids all hear something that he's done. That's good, a good thing. Right. And that little piece of hope that he is Mm. actually, you know, changing his ways or his behavior comes up for me still. And that's part of that bond. You know, the next day he might be doing something really bad and then that swabbles it. But, you know, it just is, it's just that hope that we have and that we hang on to because, you know, we love that person, Mm. you know, even though they're abusive to us, we still love that person. And we know that the person that's on that other side of abuse that, you know, that person that, that, that he is when he's not abusing you, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we want that and we strive for that and we think we can change things. So, but I think an important thing is really relying on your intuition and knowing that these are things that aren't going to change. I appreciate you being vulnerable about saying too, that there is that part of you that still even wonders and hopes. And I think the thing that a lot of women get stuck in is you've got Jekyll and you've got Hyde. And so which one is he, you know, is he really that nice one who's treating me well when things are okay? Or is he really the, the dark side, you know, that, that, that really aggressive or intimidating or, mean spirited person. And so kind of sifting through that is difficult. And sometimes it's a a game we play with ourselves. And really, sometimes the answer doesn't really matter as much as how about you? How about your own health and your own relationships and how you deserve to be treated and those kinds of things. But it doesn't mean that that's not on our minds. It doesn't mean it doesn't pop up from time to time. And I think there's some shame that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. We're like, I'm healing now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm living life now, you know, in this new way. And should I, shouldn't I not feel those things anymore? Right? Yeah. You would think that it would just go, go away. And yeah, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's just, you know, it's fine. And we don't, you know, I don't, that's not a place that I really revisit very often because yeah. I have a completely different life, but 
you know, when I do hear things, it does take me right, right back to, so you can see how powerful that bond mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and you did mention that you've been since remarried and that good relationships do exist. And mm-hmm. so I want to know if you'd share a little bit about that with us. And as we start to look at forming healthy relationships and not repeating this trauma bonded cycle, what are some of the ways that we would see a healthy relationship develop instead? Okay. So yes, I'd love to share that. And I'll kind of share a little bit of my experience and what came along with that. So after I was divorced, I dated, you know, I did the online dating thing and it was weird and uncomfortable and I didn't love it. And um, (laughs) I, I ended up kind of seeing somebody and the thing that I recognized right off the bat is something was very familiar to me. Now he was very kind. He was nice. That part was okay, but there were other behaviors that were very much similar to the relationship that I had been in before. And I think because I had done a lot of therapy, um, I had hired a coach, some really great people came into my life. I was able to recognize those red flags. I I believe wholeheartedly that we have to do the work on ourselves first before we mm-hmm. venture out to other relationships because if we don't we haven't healed those pieces that have been so broken and damaged right and mm-hmm. we try and find a void to, or we train we have a void and we try and find something to you know feed that and it's just not healthy yet but um so when i met my husband i it was kind of a funny story we were Uh, we were both, we both went speed dating. It was kind of a living social thing. And I really didn't want to go. He didn't want to go. He came with his (laughs) marketing director. I came down with my marketing director and um, it was kind of just kind of comical. And I thought, oh, what, you know, this, nothing will really come out of this. But the fortunate thing for me is there was way more women than there were men. And so I ended up sitting next to the marketing director that he came down with and she told me all about him and she had known him for a long time. So I felt pretty good about that. I wasn't on his table and she kept kind of nudging me to go talk to him. So I went and talked to him. And um, from there we started to, to date, but I'll tell you the one thing that was really heavy for me was I was always waiting for the other shoe to Mm, drop because I thought there's no way he can be this kind there's no way he could treat me like this. Um, his meanness will come out, you know, the abuse mm-hmm. will come out. And I was always on high alert to look for those red flags. And the other thing I would do is I was so used to living in chaos. I didn't know what living in peace looked like. And so I would poke and prod him to try and like provoke him to get mad at me. And mm-hmm. he just wouldn't. And so you know, a few months went by and we took a trip out to his home state. And I think the thing that really I started to pay attention to were his other relationships with family, friends, those kind of things. And when I realized he had friendships from way back when, from my kindergarten, that he was still really good friends with, but just an abundance of friends and that love him, I started to to trust a little bit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew I had to have some faith. I I just couldn't, you know, go into this without having some faith. And, but I, I truly did not want to repeat. I did not want to go through what I had gone through for 21 years. I just, I didn't, but I think it's just a matter of really turning inward, doing what you need to do to get the help to heal, you know, finding communities like yours that women can come together and know that they're not alone and, you know, bounce ideas off of people and owning, owning up to the codependency, um, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things that contributed to that relationship and healing from that so that you can walk into a new new relationship that is good and healthy because we attract healthy when we're healthy. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I find that I think the most difficult part of healing and doing it in front of people while you're dating is that it's clumsy and it's messy and you're not even really sure what you're doing. (laughs) And so, as you said, you know, you're intentionally trying to like prod him to see, can I really trust you? And sometimes we think, 
that we're justified in doing it. And then other times we might be horrified and be like, what am I doing? Like, how am I sabotaging this? I'm ruining it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So for a woman who's in that space, somebody who's listening right now, who maybe is feeling anxious about dating or might be tiptoeing to that line of feeling like I've done enough healing on my own and I've got to get, but I feel like I got to get out there, but I, I don't know how to do that. Well, do you have any guideposts or wisdom or, you know, benchmarkers to say like, okay, if you know what the red flags are, that's great. You'll be able to see those if you watch over time, but here are the things that you can do for yourself to manage anxiety or those tendencies to self-sabotage. Yeah. Yeah. Self-sabotage is so big because we, we like to talk about the, the three brains or the three parts of the brains and that we call that primitive brain, the critter brain. And that's Mm -hmm. the brain that, you know, says, you know, don't do anything different than what you're doing because you're safe. And that Mm -hmm. keeps us kind of stuck and it keeps us from putting ourselves out there. And also if we put ourselves out there, we risk getting hurt again. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of self-sabotage happens at this point when you're trying to, trying to get out there and, and date, but, you know, with our clients, a lot of them are in this position and we will have them write down their bottom line behaviors, what they will and what they won't um, be willing to deal with in dating another person. Um, Because we feel like, you know, going into it and walking into it with some knowledge and some essentially your own power gives you, you know, the strength to put yourself out there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you know that you're not going to deal with a certain aspect of a person, then, then you don't. And also, we're big on teaching boundaries because a lot of times we'll walk into these relationships and we're so, we're so worried that they won't like us or they won't want to date us again, that we're willing to turn and not look at the things that might be bothering us. Um, and the other thing too, that we always caution people on when they're getting ready to date is oversharing because as um, survivors and thrivers of abuse, we sometimes base our identity off that story. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of oversharing and you don't need to put it out there. That can be just, that's pretty sacred stuff when you really think about it. And that can be just given out in little pieces um, over time. And I think those would probably be the main things that we teach people or tell people that they really need to work on, you know, as they're starting to put themselves back out. That's really good. I think you're right though, too. It does our survival is something that we, we may even be really proud. You know, we may be really feeling like, you know, God's done a lot of work in our lives and that it's something that we are moving through and into this new season. And so to us, it becomes really normal to talk about it, (laughs) but it can be really uncomfortable for someone who that's not on their radar, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think you're right. We get into this mode of constantly talking about it and we're always thinking about it and we're, you know, sharing with other people and you start to date somebody that maybe has never experienced this and very overwhelming to them. And Mm -hmm. I remember with my, my husband, he, he just, it would just make him angry that, um, that happened. And then Mm -hmm. it would make me frustrated because he would wonder why I stayed so long. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been a journey for be, between he and I, it's been a journey, a really big growth journey to come to this point of him understanding um, why and him like being able to pull back and not, you know, have such angry feelings towards my ex-husband. So yeah. that's been kind of beautiful to watch actually um, happen, mm-hmm. but it was kind of frustrating, you know, in the moment. Yeah. So, sure. so yeah, you just want to kind of be careful with that. So in talking about red flags and watching for red flags, what are some of the ones, you know, if we want to avoid this trauma bonded type situation, and I I mean, this can even happen. I've seen with other types of relationships, not just romantic relationships, but it can happen in, in friendships and other types of interactions. But so those red flags, as far as, again, things on both sides that we are doing or we are overlooking that we need to observe to say, oh, this person's probably unsafe. Yeah. So, you know, typically those relationships start out with what we call love bombing and love bombing. Just, you get this just kind of like an overabundance of 
compliments and you're the best. And um, we, we were soulmates in, you know, a previous life or, you mm-hmm. know, those kind of words, I would watch for that because it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel like you're the, the only one. Right. And, um, and then that, that's kind of how they kind of bring you in. And then that starts to change and it goes through different stages, but um, you know, these these relationships tend to be just like I said earlier you know they are very um intense and um I would just watch for you know how he treats other people right how he treats Mm -hmm. um his parents um also I would watch for how he treats if there's an ex-wife involved and what he says about that ex-wife she was crazy you know that's the thing is I mean we can't pick it apart so much that we don't, that we don't, you know, have a little bit of faith to, to test out the relationship, but these are some key points that, you know, we would definitely um, say, you know, watch for this because these are pretty common. Um, If you kind of get this sense of feeling a little confused or, Mm -hmm. you know, gaslighting is something that's a big thing in those relationships where, it gets, the tables get turned on you and you, you're, you know, being told that you did something that you didn't do, or, you know, it's just a kind of a way to create chaos and Mm -hmm. keep you confused and keep you. um, And that's really where that trauma bond starts to begin is with Mm -hmm. the gaslighting. So um, yeah, I would say, you know, those are some pretty good red flags to, to watch for. If you feel like you're walking on eggshells around that person, Um, On the flip side of things, if you are caring more about that person's issues than that person is caring about their issues, then there's a problem there, right? And we, that's where we see codependency start to step in is when, Mm -hmm. you know, we start managing this other person and it's a, it's actually just a form of control, but we care more about, you know, fixing them and rescuing and all those kind of things. I think it's important as you addressed both sides of that because the codependency was something that I was not really aware of. And for me, why I was not so aware of it is I looked at the relationships that I had been in and said, oh, well, nobody's perfect. You know, everybody needs a little grace, you know, and I can be there for that person and all that kind of stuff. And there comes a point where, yes, some of that is true, but to the point where that person is not changing at all and you're overlooking it constantly because you just have all this hope and and all that kind of stuff. The hope is not rooted in anything, basically, I yeah. guess is your point. That it's like you have hope for this person to show up as a person that they have never shown up as before. Yeah. They've never shown up as a person who cares about you more than themselves or is putting in equal amount of work. That there's this constant kind of, I give, and then I take away, I give, and then I take away. And then that's where we start to be confused about, well, maybe I can just hang in there long enough and and you'll be that one who gives all the time. Yeah. And it just generally doesn't work like that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for those that are listening that may not have um, a deep understanding of codependency, it's, it's kind of what that person takes on or that behavior that a person takes on when they live with somebody that's an alcoholic or an addict or something like that. And then as time evolved, they recognize that people that live in um, toxic situations, people that live with pe- people that have um, cluster B personality disorders, those kind of things take on that same um, role. And so that's mm-hmm. why it plays into these so much as, you know, basically it's a type of dysfunctional helping um, in a relationship where one person supports or enables the other person's addiction or poor mental health, immaturity, underachievement, irresponsibility, all those kind of things. Yeah. And I think the critical point, I think you would agree with this too, is that that does not cause abuse. Never does any kind of quote unquote codependency enabling anything like that does not cause a person to be abused, does not cause a person to become abusive on the Mm -hmm. other side. Mm -hmm. This is something that is a coping of, of being in that kind of a relationship, or it may actually be something that you bring into relationships that this is a pattern for you in the way that you relate to people, but it is never, 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 never absolutely <laughs> a cause for a person to be abused. They're not, per- 
they're not contributing to a, an abusive dynamic. The abuse comes specifically from the abuser. It is not a two people problem. It is not a 50, 50 type of equation. Absolutely. And really in those situations, it becomes a survival technique mm-hmm. that we take on too. And, yeah. you know, and if it's a really dangerous, like physical situation, um, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to do what, what you have to do to protect your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to take a quick break from our conversation to tell you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that's available to you on the go, and it works through an app. So you have the ability to schedule sessions with your counselor, video sessions, or even just chat with them throughout the course of your week. I found it so helpful to have a counselor to process some of the things that I had been going through from a toxic relationship, but then also identify patterns from my past so that I could make changes. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you'd like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. As far as that point though of disconnecting and you said you're still in a no contact type of arrangement um what do you think is is critical when it comes to breaking trauma bonds and putting those safe boundaries in place and leaving an abusive situation so um so fortunately i have um been able to be an advocate for the state of utah for domestic violence when you are going to leave a situation like this, it's very complicated and it can be dangerous. You know, it's very dangerous. This, this is the point where, you know, we see a lot of things happen physically to people. So it's important that you share what's going on with somebody that you trust 100%. Um, make sure somebody knows what's going on. Um, also realize that when you are breaking out of this situation, you know, on average, it takes a woman seven times to get out of these situations, seven different Mm -hmm. attempts. And, um, you know, you have to also realize that trauma bonds last a long time. So they say like, scientifically, it can be 18 months to three years before you really feel free of that. And that's if you're doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't know what, if you don't even know what's happened to you, and you're not able to work on that, then it could be much lasting, you know, much further than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just, I would just say, you know, be, be very careful when you're, when you're leaving and make sure you have a good support system in place. If you are in a really physically abusive situation and you are leaving, I would suggest that you pack a bag of clothes, uh, for your kids, for yourself. Um, I would put that in a safe place. I would also make a photocopy if you can't take the original documents of anything that is important, birth certificates, social security cards, passports, all those kind of things. Make sure you have that. In my situation, I was the one that left the house, wasn't planned. It just, the opportunity came, I left. When I came back, there was nothing left in my house. It had all gone Mm. to the dumps, including all those those, those papers and, you know, things that were really important. So, you know, basically I had the clothes that I had on and the kids did too. So, so you want to make sure that you are prepared in that way. Once you start that ball moving forward, you really don't know what exactly you're going to, you know, expect. So I would just say safety first, as far as, you know, what it looks like after. And if you have kids, it's very hard to go no contact. Um, I just have older kids. And so I'm able to, um, and it's better for, it's better for everybody involved. But, um, if, if you haven't heard the term parallel parenting, that's the best way to do it. Limited contact text and email only. If you can do that, I know there's certain apps out there that you can communicate Mm -hmm. through. You probably talked about a lot of this stuff already. Yeah. Just a good, good reminder of, you know, uh, we we teach something called the book of truths it's something that you can just do in a notebook um we have a pdf that we that we use for it but basically it's um every time you do have a conversation we encourage you to print it if it's a sp- if it's a verbal com- conversation we encourage you to write it down because what happens is things get so twisted and turned around you start questioning yourself 
you know, yeah. did, did that really happen? Did I really, did he really say that? Did I really say that? It's a great way that you can go back and say, you know what? No, this did happen. And it happened just like this. Um, it also is a great um, resource if you have to go to court because it keeps a very consistent record of what's happening. Even though it's he said again, she said the court would prefer to see some consistency. And then the last thing that, you know, I love about the book of truth you know, I, I, we never tell people to dwell, but every once in a while, I'll take a peek at my book of truths. It just gives me a lot of validation on how far I've come and those people. So, so even in that book, I would print off like encouraging emails, um, you know, poems, prayers, whatever it might be. I would put those in there and, you know, it just reminds me how grateful I am to be where mm. I'm at now and yeah. how far I have come. And also the other thing that's beautiful about healing is one day you'll be able to reach your hand out just like you were doing, and you'll be able to pull the next person up. And that yeah. to me is what this is really all about. Yeah. It's so empowering. I yeah. love what you said too, about writing those things down. And I think that's where I started was more of like a legal documentation, but it uh -huh. became, uh -huh. it became a way for me to tell myself the truth. And for me to see it on paper and go, oh no, this is what's happening, you know? And the point that you made though, too, about the parallel parenting and the gray rock, well, you said no contact, but I mm -hmm. also understand the concept of gray rock basically. Yeah. And for yeah. someone who's listening and doesn't know what that is, no contact is a method of breaking away from an abusive or trauma bonded type relationship so that you have the ability to separate yourself entirely and heal from that withdrawal, basically, as you're talking mm -hmm. about Tiffany and gray rock though, is when you have to have some kind of interaction with this person often because you have kids. And so it's where your communications have all of the emotion of a gray rock. So mm -hmm. it's very business oriented. It's as you said, text and emails or co-parenting apps, things like that are great because it's just logistics. It is based very much on whatever parenting plan type document you have, or, you know, your divorce decree, whatever it is that you can refer back to very specific points that have already been negotiated. And that way there's no emotion. We're not making friends here. You know, we can still be polite. We can be, you know, um, kind, but at the same time, we don't need to extend any additional type of relationship with this person. And yeah. I found that was really helpful as well. Again, it's telling yourself the truth and being able to sit with it and believe it over and over and over again. And I think that is so paramount in what we're talking about as far as breaking these bonds and removing yourself from this situation, because it can be so intoxicating and pull you back in when you're not able to differentiate the truth from lies. And that's basically how these relationships continue on is this disconnect between reality mm -hmm. and, a, and a fantasy, basically. Yeah. Yep. So true. And, yeah. you know, I love with, you know, the gray rock method is, is so powerful because mm -hmm. what's happening too, is when you take that emotion out of it, they're not getting their supply their supply is your reaction to them, right? Positive and, or negative, right? <laughs> yeah, positive or negative, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so when they're not getting that, they tend to try and get supply at other places. So then they leave you alone a little bit mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. I, at least that's what we have found and I have found in my own personal experiences yeah. is that's been a method that's that's really helped. Yeah. So as far as, you know, moving forward though, and making the time to heal, you said, you know, it can be 18 months to three years if we're doing the work. I know a lot of single moms are saying, oh my gosh, but you know, between work and homework and my kids and taking them to therapy or whatever stuff that's going on, she may feel like how in the world do I make this time to do the work? And I love that you all actually had a blog post about this, <laughs> um, but can you give us some suggestions about doing the things that we really need to do to make that time to heal? We just have to look at our time. You know, um, I think that an exercise that we have our clients do is we actually have them pull their calendar out. And unfortunately, when we've been in these situations, a lot of times we are not very strong in our boundaries yet. And so we have to practice, you know, being stronger in those boundaries. And we don't honor our yes and our no. 
and we find ourselves very frustrated because we overcommit or we say yes, because we're afraid we're going to hurt somebody else's feelings, all those kind of things. And that all circles back around to, you know, codependency and all those kind of things, but we can heal from that. But Mm -hmm. we suggest you take out your calendar and you just go through and you remove the things that take away your energy and you try and add something in that will give you some energy. So whether that is, you know, an app that you can do a five minute guided meditation on, or Mm -hmm. if, if you can just sit and breathe, if you can escape to the closet. I mean, when we, when we coach, um, I always think it's just fantastic when our clients pop on our zoom calls and they're in their cars or their trailers or their closets or wherever they're at, because they, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think the misconception about self-care is, you know, we think of pedicures and manicures and that's great. That, that is a form of self-care, but really the most important form of self-care is the things that we do around that healing. So if it's reading a book that can help you process through things, if it's writing down um, some of the false beliefs that you're telling yourself and then taking Mm -hmm. them and turning them into um, and changing the narrative of that story really. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, rereading and getting your mind familiar with a different story and a different belief than what you've been believing in the past. I mean, there's all sorts of things that, that you can do, but you have to take the time. So by looking at the calendar and prioritizing things, because yes, I mean, everybody's just so busy, but you know, if it's maybe putting your phone down for a little Mm -hmm. while and not scrolling or mixing the Netflix for that night, it's just really about being intentional. Yeah. I love what you just said too about putting your phone down, stop scrolling. Cause I realize sometimes when we're feeling anxious, at least that's what I do. It's like, I, do. I feel disconnected. I I'm, I don't even know I'm doing it, but it's like my phone's in my hand and I'm like, why am I scrolling? I don't even want to be doing this right now, <laughs> but it's like a pacifier. It's mm-hmm. like, we're just kind of trying to soothe ourselves. And, uh, if we would just take the time to journal instead or read instead, or even just pray, sit quietly, something mm-hmm. else instead that that can be so much more energizing. As far as that, that narrative and that negative self-talk, I know a lot of times coming out of this or starting to date again, there's this nasty inner critic. And some of us like myself have been dealing with this inner critic from day one. (laughs) (laughs) So can you give also some thoughts a little more towards that, as far as that inner critic? Again, this is another blog post that you all have. And I love where you're talking about name the inner critic (laughs) and talk to the inner critic. (laughs) And talk to it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yep. We all, we, we, um, yeah, you want to, you want to, you want to give it a name, whether it's, you know, a funny name, you know, you can do whatever. And then you talk to it and you, and you change that narrative. Um, I'll share just a little bit of a, an exercise that we do, and I'll show you how we we teach people to change that narrative. Um, first, what we do is we have them identify the story or the belief that they're telling themselves. So for example, if I'm saying to myself, I'm broken, then I'm keeping myself a couple of things. Yes, you have gone through a lot, right? But you're also keeping yourself safe because if you're broken, then you can't date and you can't you know, do this. Mm-hmm. And it kind of keeps you in, in as the victim. And then what we do is we take and we shift that story and we start by journaling those false rewards that we're getting. So for example, with I'm broken, I can stay small. I can say unseen. Um, I don't have to risk getting my heart hurt again. Uh, mm-hmm. Those kind of things. So we, because we're always getting, most of the time when we're gaining something, it's a negative gain. We're not getting mm-hmm. a positive gain from something that's, you know, negative. So when we do that, then we, we shift that. And then we lean into that new story by taking each of those beliefs and we rewrite that story around them. And it takes a little work to do this, but you can do it with any belief that you have, anything that's weighing you down or any thought. Just an example with, I am broken. Um, if I was to change that, I've been through some hard stuff, but I survived it. And now I have a chance to create a better life, happier life. And these are the things I'm going to do to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you just really anchor in your new story. And I think one thing that we tell people a lot is when we start to change these narratives, it can be a little scary for us because we get the ball moving forward and we actually have to take action, but action brings clarity. And we have to remember that nothing changes until something changes. So we put that action to it. And then 
also finally, you know, in that exercise that we teach, we also also teach to give yourself grace. It's a process and a journey. It's not a destination and it never will be, but you know, life will look a lot different for you, you know, in two or three years than it does now. If, if you're willing to put yourself first and, you know, and trust in God and you have to care for yourself. I love that point too, about giving yourself grace, because I think, especially as we start to navigate healing, as it relates to stepping into new relationships that we feel like, oh my gosh, if I don't have this totally buttoned up, like I'm just, I'm so messy. (laughs) And I think even in your own story and sharing your own story, you didn't have it all perfect. You didn't do everything just right. Mm -hmm. And you still were able to find a healthy and wonderful relationship that has completely, you know, look different from your past and you didn't have to earn it. I think is the big thing that we often feel like with healing is like, Oh, I have to be perfectly set to earn this thing. And it's like, that's not the way it works. Yeah. And you know, I mean, perfectionism is just a whole nother thing, but it's Mm -hmm. true. I mean, I think we, we do, we get the idea of it has to look a certain way. And I know at first in my relationship, when, you know, I would do something that was, you know, that I felt like I didn't do right or something like that. I would spend a lot of time beating myself up over it. And my Mm -hmm. husband didn't look at it that way. You know, that wasn't, you know, (laughs) that wasn't how he was looking at it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I love that, that you just don't have to be perfect. And, and by giving yourself grace, I think you allow yourself to let that perfectionism go. That's so wonderful. I need to hear that. I can't hear that enough times. I'm telling you, I'm a recovering perfectionist (laughs) all the way. (laughs) I I think a lot of us are. And, um, you know, and it's hard. I mean, it's a very hard thing to, to, to give up and yeah. Well, because it is a form of control a little bit, you know, and so when we can let that go, I shouldn't say a little bit, it is a form of control. (laughs) It is. I know we don't want to like completely admit to that, right? (laughs) But like, there's so much goodness that can be found even in the messy. And I just thank you so much for encouraging us with all of that today. As we're kind of buttoning up here, I ask at the end of the conversation, I ask the guests the same question. And it's, if there's just one more thing, one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? I would want a single mom to know you have the ability to heal. You have the ability to move forward and you have so many people in your corner cheering you on and loving you and, and supporting you. And, you know, it won't always look this way. Life will change. That's one thing that we're very um, assured of is it's change and it will change. And you, you have the control of your own healing. That's the one thing we do have some power over. And I think, you know, pulling in um, your faith and, really doing that work and digging in, you're going to be okay. That is good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm receiving that. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the relationship recovery and how listeners can get in touch with you guys. Um, So uh, it's usually both of us. Kirsten just ended up with a um, um, issue. We had a mom situation. (laughs) Everybody can relate. (laughs) It involved a broken car key. Broken key fob locked out of the car. So, yeah. So, um, but so Kirsten and I met in our former workplace and we were both kind of going through a divorce at the same time. And what happened is we just started realizing that there wasn't the resources out there. There's a lot more resources now, you know, Mm -hmm. because we have social media and all those kind of things. But we, thought, you know, we ought to put something together that could help women. And so that's kind of how the relationship recovery, you know, was formed. What's happened since then is we um, have come up with a a process that we teach, whether it's our courses, whether it's our coaching, two-on-one, one-on-one group coaching, we always teach foundations of healing first, then we clear up the trauma, and then we work on moving forward. So we just have a three-tiered system that we work off of. But we do a lot of things. Um, we have our community on Instagram. It's just at the Relationship Recovery. Um, but we do um, like group coaching, one-on-one coaching, two-on-one coaching. Uh, we have we do have a course. Um, we just try and be diverse for everybody. Not everybody's in a good financial situation. So we like to have something that we can at least 
you know, and we try and give as much free advice and free, you know, even your Instagram account, there's so much, yeah, so much goodness right in there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we do our best to, you know, serve everybody that we can serve. And so we're, we have our biggest platform is we do a little bit of Facebook, but we're mostly all over on Instagram and we have mm-hmm. a, um, some on TikTok as well. But um, so it's just at the relationship recovery, or you can visit our website at um, the relationship recovery.com. Also on yeah. Also on there, just know you'll find some resources some downloads, some other things that might be able to help you um, over on the site. So, um, and they're all free. We have a, a book list over there of kind of the top 10 books that we recommend. So there's some good stuff over there Great. that you can get for free. Awesome. Awesome. And I just have to say the work that you ladies have done has been so helpful to me. And so it's just been a joy getting to talk to you today and I'm just praying that, you know, those who would listen would be encouraged the same way that I was. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Toxic relationships are extremely difficult to identify when you're in them and then can also be just as difficult to leave and get to safety. If you are in that situation, I am going to put a link to the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the show notes so that if you're still just looking for where is that place I can start and get some help, that you reach out to trained professionals who can help you to create a safety plan and do the right thing for yourself and for your children. Other resources that I've created at Agape Moms to help you as you may be journeying through a season of recovery are things like our private Facebook group. It's called Beloved Collective. And if you go to Facebook and search for Agape Moms at Agape Moms, you will see the groups tab there. And if you just click on that, you can submit a request to join the group and ask questions of other women who are going through the same things as you are and get some encouragement and perspective. Also, Agape Moms is on Instagram at Agape Moms. Also, to go along with every episode of the podcast, I've created a weekly guided scripture meditation video, and it's kind of a devotional that you can just sit and listen to less than five minutes and just start applying what you've learned in the podcast and reflecting on God's word and his encouragement for you in this season. You can receive notifications when those videos become available by subscribing to the Agape Moms YouTube channel. Walking through these things is not easy. And I find that it's very difficult when we feel like we're alone. And I just would pray during this entire process, wherever you are in this journey, that you would know all the time that God is walking with you, that there are other people who have gone through similar things and have come out the other side, and that you are not alone, that God cares for you, he loves you, and he wants to see you thriving and living in the purpose that he has for you. And I just pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved. Mm -hmm.